My name is Michael Unbroken, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Before we get started today, though, this is a quick reminder that we are launching our Go Big to Give Big membership. If you are looking to get around people that are more excited about talking about the impact they are making in this world more than the cars they are buying, then you're going to want to go check out GoBigToGiveBig.com to get more information and join the most philanthropic group of entrepreneurs out there. Now, back to the show. What's up, everybody? Today's guest was a powerful one. And he left us feeling inspired to think bigger. Michael Anthony, also referred to as Michael Unbroken, has one of the most powerful stories I have ever heard. From being addicted to drugs, overweight and broken, to building a super successful company that is helping trauma survivors become unbroken. Michael is one of the most passionate speakers I have ever met and will have you captivated in his storytelling abilities. So without wasting any more time, here is the incredible story behind Michael Unbroken. All right, I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Michael Unbroken, to the show. Dude, I am fired up for today's chat with you. You are an incredible human. Uh, I did a little bit of a deep dive into your story and just what you've overcome, what you've created, and the type of human that you are is just absolutely exceptional. And I know some of the stuff we're going to dive into today is is just going through a lot of what you've been through from, you know, being a, uh, raised by drug addicts, being homeless and being an addict yourself to them creating one of these incredible brands that's supporting a bunch of trauma survivors. You've created the Think Unbroken brand as a whole. Uh, you've got a top rated podcast, you're a bestselling author, you're a you know, highly recommended coach. You just have so much accolades. So I'm excited to jump in and hear a little bit about your story and uh, get you on the show. Yeah, man. It's an honor to be here, dude. Thanks so much for the invite. I've been looking forward to doing this one for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, everyone just heard a little bit about your intro uh, as I shared in the beginning here. So they know a little bit about some of your past of what you've gone through. But one of the things that was very fascinating to me is in listening to some of your shows, you said at around age 21, you had this kind of realization moment where you said, hey, I want to start making 100 grand a year you know, kind of get past some of this trauma and some of the stuff you're doing. One of the funny things you said is that you want to do it legally as well. And uh, obviously that ties into a little bit of your past. But I was curious, what was that turning point where you realized that you wanted something different? And I believe you talked about like looking into a mirror. So like, how did you look into the mirror, decide that you wanted to choose a different life? Yeah, I mean, from a timeline perspective, those things definitely happen on a different timeline, but they all matter, right? And so the the decision to make a hundred grand a year came when I was eighteen. Mm. So I got I got kicked out of high school for like the third or fourth time. I had to go to summer school. All my friends had graduated. I'm now the biggest loser in the whole school. Nobody talks to me. I'm embarrassed. Everyone around me is like, "You're you suck." And 
I, I got fired from a warehouse job where I was putting microchips into motherboards like a freaking monkey. And like, it, like I remember getting fired the same day that I go to summer school. This is like the third weekend. And my summer school teacher comes up to me and he's like, we're just going to give you the diploma. Obviously, you don't want to be here. We're done with you. Let the streets figure it out. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, dude, you're not getting out of this car till you come up with the solution for this poverty, homelessness, abuse. Like you're going to figure this out. And the thing that came to mind, which at 18 years old made sense was money because it's the one thing we never had. We were always getting evicted. I lived over 30 different families as a kid. Our cars were always getting repossessed. There was always an eviction notice. Our water got turned off. Dude, I used to have to steal food, like literally had to steal food to survive. And I grew up in Indianapolis in America, the greatest freaking country in the world. And we were that poor because of my mother and stepfather's addictions and lack of education, just to be frank. They didn't know how to make money. They didn't know how to spend money. And so I made that declaration about a hundred grand a year legally by the time I'm 21, right. because at that point I'd been in handcuffs more times than I can count. I have family in prison for life, like literally to this day. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered. Yo, I mean, like I knew where I was going, bro. So I just made that declaration. But I, to be honest, man, I just didn't have a lot of clarity about it. It was like, make the money legally. I worked at a, a fast food joint and became a leader and a, a general manager in training. And I had 52 people under me. And then I popped to this place and then that place. And it still wasn't getting done. And, and then in October, August, September, right before I turned 21, uh, I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company, one that everyone in America knows. Most of them use them more frequently than you even believe. And I made my first check for $10,000. By the time I was 26, I made almost a million bucks. But dude, I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep high from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, cheating on my girlfriend, $50,000 in debt, my car got repoed, and my little brother said, never talk to me again, you're not my brother. And so having goals without clarity is very, very dangerous. And I learned that the hard way. That mirror moment came by proxy of all of this because I'm at rock bottom, man. And this is like the 10,000th straw, right? Here's what happened. Basically, I'm laying in bed. It's like first thing in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm fucking 350 pounds. <laughs> I'm eating chocolate cake, smoking a joint and watching the CrossFit games. And it's like, <laughs> okay, dude, hold on. What are you really doing here? Right. And I pulled myself up. I went and looked at myself in the bathroom mirror. And man, look, I'll give a little caveat to what I'm about to say. Most people are not going to get any benefit out of what I did next. However, I grew up in chaos and torment and hell. And most people are like, especially in my industry, right? Because I'm like the trauma coach guy, which I get, but I'm also the real guy. Like, I'm only going to ever tell the truth. And so I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, dude, you're a fucking loser. You suck. You did this. Stop being a victim. Stop blaming the world. Get your shit together. And it was like, dude, it fired me up. And as I was like having that moment, I remember being eight years old and the water company had come turned our water off. I mean, again, we were that poor. And my mom was like, go across the street to the neighbor's house and get water, but don't tell them. So I'm eight years old. I go in the backyard. I get this little blue bucket, walk across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time, I stole water. 
And I remember being like, when I'm a grown up, this will not be my life. And so on paper, you would look at my life and be like, damn, this dude's got it all. Smoking hot girlfriend, $85,000 car, all the Sean John suits and Jordans anybody could ever want. And yet in real life, my life was a disaster. And as I looked in the mirror and having this conversation with myself, I asked myself, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer was no excuses, just results. And that was 13 years ago. Wow. Incredible, man. I can imagine what you've been through as a kid and the, and the trauma you've had to overcome. So walk us through now. You make that decision and you say, hey, I want to be a different person. I want to be a different human. What are the next steps that you took then? How do you make that transition from where you were to becoming Michael Unbroken? Dude, I, I was the greatest liar of all time. And when you grow up in a traumatic household, and, and a lot of kids get this, right? So many people have had adverse child experiences. And it's like in my home, telling the truth was the most dangerous thing you could ever do. The fastest way for me to get my head thrown into a wall, to get starved, to get beaten, to get belittled, whatever, is to like honor my wants, my needs, my interests, my truth. And so as an autonomic response to those stressors, the brain's making meaning of these situations and these experiences. And it's saying, every time I tell the truth, I get hurt. So I'm going to stop. And that's what I did. And I, dude, I became an amazing liar, like top three all time. And I, I look at that and I go, okay, so I'm 26. My life is basically a disaster. Dude, I'm having five panic attacks a day at this point. Because think about the pressure of trying to keep all these lies in check. And it was something I just always done. Don't tell the truth at school. Don't tell the truth to the cops when they come over. Don't tell the truth to family members. And so now I'm in this position where it's like, okay, all this lying is the reason I'm in this situation. And most people who come from traumatic backgrounds are great liars because they have to be, not because we want to be. There's nothing more that I would want less than to be a great liar. I think it's nonsense. I think it's fucking out of character. I think it's out of integrity. It sucks. And, you know, I'm balancing all these multiple lives. It's like I'm like nine different people every single day. Part of it is codependency too, right? I'll do anything for you to like me, Randy. I don't care what it is. I don't care. Just like me for five seconds. My mom didn't like me. My dad didn't like me. My stepdad didn't like me. My teachers didn't like me. The community didn't like me. I had no friends. When I was 12 years old, nobody came to my birthday party. Like, you know, this is real shit. And so now I'm like 26 and I'm like, all right, dude, you got to stop lying. This is where it's this is the first thing that I teach on stage. The first thing I speak on at masterminds, the first thing I talk about when I'm coaching people, stop lying. The problem is that thing about stop lying means that you have to start telling the truth. <laughs> You've never told the truth before. So you don't know how to tell the truth. And because you don't know how to tell the truth, it's terrifying because it's a new identity. And then you get stuck and you're like, I wanted to tell the truth, but I couldn't like the words wouldn't come out of my mouth because I was so terrified of the ramifications. And what I always try to tell my clients is like, we're so tied into these ideations, these ideals, these entrapments, embodiments and enmeshments of childhood where we go, I have to do that so I'm safe. And what I try to teach people is you're not a child anymore. And that's really hard, man. It's really hard because you have to face all of the most horrific things you've ever done. 
And none of us are impervious to this. We've all done tremendously awful some things. Now, the levels off, awful will probably depend on who you are, your environment, what you come from, right? But for the most part, we've all made that mistake where if we go back in time, we'd change it, right? And so when I started telling the truth, I actually probably caused more chaos in my life, right? right? And that was for a period of time. Because what would start to happen is people would be like, you're a liar. Like, I don't want to hang out with you, right? And I didn't have the words to articulate why I was a liar. Like, I didn't know where it came from to be deceitful, to cheat, to steal. And like, I knew why I did it as a child. It was survival. But as an adult making 150, 200 grand a year, like what planet does that make sense? It doesn't. And so it just started with that. I was like, okay, cool. If I can just tell the truth today in this moment, my life will be different. And what started to happen in that, and I would still lie, right? But what I forced myself to do, which is incredibly uncomfortable, I still do it to this day. Actually, I did it last night. And it, it's this, if I lie, I go, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. I totally just made that up. And, and that is just a reminder to me to stay in integrity. And, and what started to happen is because I was deciding to tell the truth, I was being honest in therapy. I was being honest in relationships. I was being honest in friendships. I was being honest in my career. You know, it's really messed up, dude. I was award-winning destination wedding photographer at this point in my life. I'd left the Fortune 10 company. I was building this business. I was speaking on stages. I was on television shows. I was getting printed in magazines. And yet I'm a wedding photographer cheating on my girlfriend. Like what planet does that like rationally make sense? You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, as I told the truth, the lies came out and it was a nightmare. There are definitely people who will never talk to me again. And I get it. And I'm not saying I deserve it. I'm just saying that's kind of the taxes that you have to pay. And so for the people that I work with, when they step into this and people always ask me, Randy, they go, what's the first step? I go, you tell the fucking truth. And so what will eventually happen is the pendulum will swing back to balance. And you will begin to step into the identity of the person that you're capable of being. And on a long enough timeline, you will become that person. But it's like, can you get to the point that you can look at yourself in the mirror and be okay with the reflection? And everybody out here is always like, do these three steps, journal, meditate, cold showers, blah, shut the fuck up. Tell the truth. You tell the truth, your life will be different. Dude, I love this conversation, Michael, and thank you for sharing that because I think so many people, even just in recent conversations, have gone through something similar, and they're going through this sort of pattern interruption, right? There's a lot of things happening like economically even that are changing businesses, changing people's lives, and they're recognizing that there's something that they've either done or continue to do that prevents them from getting to that next you know, chapter of their life or their next better self, if you will. In this space of like pattern interrupt, I find that every time that I'm able to become aware of it, I then be able to get that decision to be able to react the way I want to instead of being forced into like my automatic programming. And when I do get that opportunity to choose how I want to show up, I find that it's kind of like snipping off the string of an anchor and allows you to like be more free in yourself. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you see with everybody? you know, sort of part one, part two is like, how do you go around this like articulation piece of change? I think that's the piece that so many people sort of fumble through of, you know, you mentioned like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to stop lying. Right. You, you're aware of it. You're, you're taking that action. And then you, you, you mess it around trying to figure out like, I can't 
quite articulate this to my friends, but I want to be a different, better person. How do you like put yourself back in that state? What would you say to that person now with the information that you have today on how to get through this part of your life to you know go bigger into who you want to become? Yeah, I, I think everything is only explainable in retrospect, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Damn. And so, and so I, I think I, I get where you're going with it. But like, if you would have asked me in the moment why I chose the path of honesty, I have no idea. It just seemed like the most reasonable thing, right? All right, I'll, I'll put it this way, Steve. There are things in our journey that keep us awake at night, like in a literal sense, where there's pressure in your mind. It is your physiological response to the environment that you're in and the decisions that you are or are not making that keep you awake. It could be anything, dude. It could be like leaving the relationship or starting the business or telling people about the offer or the charity or like whatever, like that thing that you need to do. We put it off. 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 And every night we're like, man, I'm so restless. I can't sleep. I'm like, yeah, I wonder why. And it's like, you want to change to become the person that you're capable of doing. Do the shit you say you're going to do. Like, that's the game. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop wasting money on drugs and alcohol and sex and gambling. Start doing things that bring you fulfillment and joy and happiness and, and a luster for life. And it's going to be weird, man, because you're going to be challenging your identity. It's kind of like this. There's a gap between who you are today and who you want to be. And, and people ask me all the time, they're like, Michael, how'd you become so confident? And I always tell them because I just continually do incredibly uncomfortable things consistently. Mm. Like that is the game. And people want to have a different life and they put down on paper, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And yet they don't change their behavioral patterns because they're trapped in the mindset that actually, even though they're writing it down and even though they're listening to this podcast and even though they're doing all the personal development habits and now there's 400 you have to do every single day to be successful, the one thing they're not doing is actually showing up. And so it's like, okay, cool. You want to have a different body. Well, eat less, move more. This isn't rocket science. I was 350 pounds. Size 47 pants, size 4XL. I'm 220 depending on the day. I'm size XL on a bad day and large generally and wear size 33. How did I do that? How did I become a speaker? How did I become one of the biggest podcasts in the country in, in mental health space? How, 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 how? Dude, it's because I wrote down the goals and then I just took action. People want to circumvent the time period that it takes to become you because they're like, I meditated three times. Why is it my life different? Well, because for 37 years, you've been a different person. And so your organism as this physical embodiment of your spiritual self has no idea how to be the person that you want to become. And so it reverts under stress and pressure to the old behavioral patterns for a mechanism of safety. And so as you're going through this process and Steve, you're like on this side, like I see myself as this, the moment you step into it, it's unknown. What do we do with the unknown? We stay away from it. This is why you build confidence in becoming you through doing uncomfortable things with consistency, because you know this as well as I do, there's levels to this game. So every time you become the newer version of you, you don't revert back just because you screw up, but you also don't go forward unless you continue to be uncomfortable. And that's where people get stuck because they're like, I look at my life, I got all the things, I got the car, I got the clothes, I got the girl, I got the this, the got the that. And then they're like, I hate my life, I'm gonna put a gun in my mouth. 
And I'm like, that's because you stopped moving forward. You got complacent, you got stuck, you got in this place where you stopped asking for help, you stopped seeking guidance and mentorship and coaching and therapy and all the thing that one needs to survive the world that we need. And so when you're going down this path and you want to actually create long-term change, it's not just about the shift in the moment, but it's looking at the long-term play and saying, how do I need to show up for 15 years from now? I've tricked myself into something. I don't actually talk about this very often, but you prompted this. I tricked myself in the way that I create goals. So one of the things I hate about goal setting is there, there are, so many of them are time bound. And I think what happens when you create time bound goals that you don't reach is people give up, they quit. And so I played a trick on myself. I did this probably like five or six years ago. I don't even know where it came from, but it's called the 37 year plan. And effectively, it's an arbitrary number, Steve. So it doesn't actually mean anything. The number could be whatever. But in my head, it was 37 years. And the way that I looked at it, everything that I do is on a 37-year curve. So everything that I do, from wanting to be a New York Times bestselling author, to have the number one podcast in the world, to speaking on stages with the people I speak on, to having a relationship and a family and all that, Dude, as long as it happens in the next 37 years, I don't care when it happens. But here's what's fascinating about it. In five years from now, it'll still be a 37-year plan. And so I'm not tied into this idea of time being a mechanism for determining my worth. I've tied the mechanism for worth being determined by my effort. And if people can get to that, their life will be different. Because, bro, I'm telling you right now, I've driven $80,000 cars and had $2,000 custom suits and ate at the finest restaurants in the world. And it never has brought me any joy after five seconds. I'm like, oh, that was a good steak. I could have probably made one at home and saved 300 bucks. You know what I'm saying? And so it's very much about allotting yourself the space of patience to grow in the person that you're capable of being, knowing that every time you're taking a step forward, your body is actually having a physiological and biological response under the stressor of the unknown to revert to old behavior patterns to keep you safe. I just have one quick follow-up on that one. And I love everything you said. To really break down into nuts and bolts, I want to ask you like the simplest version of this. Why even address trauma? I don't know what else to do. Like when, when I was four years old, my mother cut my right index finger off. Multiple skin grafts, multiple surgeries. I carried this scar for years, man, and it haunted me. Like every time I... Actually, I, I need to tell this story more. When I used to get asked about what happened to my finger, because it's kind of noticeable, right? I used to just make shit up. I'd be like, this happened or that happened. The story would always be different. And I was like, I never told the truth. Why, why do I have these burn marks on my body? Never talked about my stepdad, right? Why do I have these, these scars on my back? Never talked about him hitting me, throwing me to the ground. And, and I realized one day that the very space that I was trapped in is the very thing that set me free, right? I mean, I don't want this job, dude. Like, I don't. I, I never wanted this. I don't want to be the trauma guy, but it's an obligation. And I look at, because I led first, I look at my brother's lives. There's a picture of them that's on my counter in the other office. And, and I just look at it every single day. And it's like, their lives are so different now because I led first. And my family's 
both genetically and energetically, our destinations are differently because I led first. I didn't step into this, man. I was just writing a blog. That's all I was doing. I'm a writer first. I was just sharing information under a pseudonym. I wasn't even me, bro. This was so long ago. Like nobody knew it was me. And then I just started kind of publicly posting the stuff. And then people would be like, hey, will you help me? And I was like, no, absolutely not. I will not help. I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing, man. Why would I help you? And then there were some people who were adamant. And I just said, all right, let's see what happens. And that was almost eight years ago, man. You know, trauma is such a hard thing to access, right? People have buried it so far down, they don't want to deal with it. So they start telling a bit of the truth, but they're not actually addressing the trauma that's underneath them. Kind of two things here is like, one, where do you go to unlock that trauma? By yourself, it's very hard. Where do you get the support? Some people like counseling, some people like coaching, some people like, like an ayahuasca retreat. What is that where people are going? And the second is, do you think that unlocking that trauma actually changes you in a different way than just saying, I want to change. Like, does the trauma actually hold space in you that you don't even know is causing the pain? First, I'll say this. I don't even know necessarily that you have to go down this path. Like there's some people I know, dude, they've been through some dark things and they are good. Sometimes, man, you're the human is a resilient thing right? We are the ultimate adaptation machine. That is why we are the apex predator, bro. I don't care what nobody says. If there's a great white shark and there's a hundred of us, we're winning, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, one-on-one we're fucked, but like in a group, <laughs> we will always win. And so, you know, I, I don't know that you always have to, and we live in this very interesting part of time in society where everybody is so trauma forward. And you see this happening, especially during COVID suddenly everybody was like a trauma coach. I'm like, dude, no, you're not. Just because you had some bad shit happen to you. Dude, I have over 30 trauma-informed certifications. I've spent over a quarter million dollars in education and over 10,000 hours of study time working with people like Dr. Gabor Mate, Meryl Bouquet, Dr. Caroline Leaf, Anna Lemke, all of the people I've interviewed on the podcast, no less, and, and investing myself into courses and things and this and that and this and that. So like, I understand why we do it. I think it's a conversation I love that we're having. But ultimately, it's, you know, I think it's kind of Pandora's box, right? So do you need to do it first and foremost, uh, which I think is a precursor to the other two questions that you asked is, I don't know, maybe. Okay, it's cool. So you decide that you do. Well, well, how do you really uncover this? There is a part of this in which because the body's response to these stressors is about protection, it stuffs these events down and makes them almost impossible to uncover. And yet there are blank spots in people's memory, right? The unfortunate thing for me, and I am an outlier in this, is I remember everything. My trauma response is that I have one of the best memories of all time. Not photographic, but like damn near, man. It's really strange. And so I remember every experience, every moment. I remember the first time I tied my shoe. Right. You know what I mean? Like weird stuff like that. I remember like the clothes I used to wear. I remember events and experiences and dude, you know, I'll remember our first conversation and the, the fact that we talked about what's behind you in that case, you know, and that was like six weeks ago in a random 20 minute call. Some people make that stuff just disappears in their head. Right. And, and it disappears, but it comes up in their physiology, comes up in their biology. It's they can't get intimate with a partner. They're so fearful of telling the truth and they're trying to map it through and they go, I don't know why I'm stuck. 
And one of the things that happens that gets really dangerous about this is people will say, that's just who I am. And I'm like, every time you say that, that is the ultimate fixed mindset. And you've automatically trapped yourself in the inability to grow. And so as you're going through this and you do feel, you're like, man, there's something that has me stuck. This is my favorite thing, dude. The only time I can ever guide people in this journey, I look at myself, I'm like a Sherpa, man. And that's all I'm doing. I'm just guiding people on this journey. That's all. I'm like, you just walk behind me, we'll get there. They have to be willing to acknowledge that there's something in the way. Now, whether or not you need to uncover the exact and precise thing that has you stuck, I don't know is necessary. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It depends. It's so contextual per person. But what is necessary is your willingness to acknowledge, hey, here's what I hear all the time, Randy. I'm going to fuck with some people right now. People like, my childhood wasn't that bad. But I, I mean, I did get molested when I was seven. My childhood wasn't that bad, but my parents got divorced and my dad used to hit my mom. My childhood wasn't that bad. I remember this one time I watched my uncle get arrested. And you're like, okay, hold on. We maybe need to think about the language we're using around this. Because you didn't get your finger cut off doesn't mean your childhood wasn't that bad. And we need to stop subjugating ourselves to less. And so you're in this position where you're starting to acknowledge you're looking at the stuckness, you're seeking help and guidance. You don't necessarily need to pinpoint the exact thing, but what you do need to uncover the emotional response that you have to the stressors in your life. Because when you can do that, now you're in this position where you can start to seek that real space of freedom. And you can do that in a multitude of ways. Do you need plant medicine? Again, I'm going to give you a lot of maybes, Randy, because <laughs> I don't know. It's so subjective. Do you need plant medicine? Maybe. Do you need a coach? Maybe. Do you need therapists? Maybe. Do you need journals? Maybe. Do you need to meditate? Maybe. I don't know. What I did, bro, I tried everything, like everything from Reiki and CBT, NLP, ABC, you name it, bro. Group therapy, men's group therapy, men's group trauma therapy, gestalt therapy, CBT, EMDR. I tried all those things, acupuncture, deep tissue massage, sciatic release, vagus nerve release. I did all those things. And I started educating myself. I read all the books. I listened to all the podcasts and I found some things worked, some things didn't. And I thought maybe this will help. And then it didn't. I thought maybe this will help. And then it did. And I think the uncovering aspect of it is very simple. It's like, are you willing to acknowledge the truth of what comes from that? Because now that you have it, because it will show itself, maybe situationally, not necessarily specifically, right? And so you're like, why am I not bonding with other human beings? Well, maybe this is why, because in third grade, you got ostracized. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So how do I put myself in a position to change that narrative in my head? And so it's really just, it's almost like yoga in a weird way, where it's a practice, and I tell my clients all the time, like, once you come into this world with me, this is a rest of your life game. Even if you leave coaching with me, even if you leave the groups with me, even if you never listen to the books or the podcasts again, because, dude, I promise you, man, it's like I heard T.D. Jakes say this. He's an incredible speaker. He goes, new levels, new devils. And so it's like every time you uncover more, there's something else. Bro, I'm yeah. 13 years into doing this shit. I still got a therapist. I still got a coach. I still read the books. I still go to the conferences. I still journal and meditate, right? And so it's like, again, I'll just always revert back to that patience thing. It's like, just because you uncovered it and you started working on it doesn't mean you solved the problem. It just means that maybe you took a little bit of sting off the punch. 100%. And 
I truly agree with everything that you said there. I think it is kind of one of those different strokes for different folks things too, right? You need to find something that you're comfortable with that helps you unlock it. I tried a bunch of different stuff. I've done through all the different things as well. And I thought I had dealt with a lot of the trauma that I had around losing one of my best friends. And I was like, I'm good. I've done so much work in this space. I've cried my life away. Like I dealt with it. And next thing you know, I went to go work with someone. They did a little NLP meditation with me that was supposed to be a three minute, just get you centered. And I was in the right time at the right place. And I broke down crying in a fetal position and had one of the most traumatic breakthroughs I've ever had in my life in a moment that wasn't meant to be. It wasn't a planned session. It wasn't anywhere. So I do believe it's kind of a right time, right moment place that sometimes you just need to be in the right headspace with the right person that you trust in the right moment and just kind of let it come. I know we can sit here and talk all day on this stuff. This is something that Steve and I talk deeply about. We've both been through a lot of trauma. We've both been through a lot of therapy. And we both believe so much in expressing it like you and talking about it. But one of the other things that we just absolutely love is talking about giving back and the impact that has on helping you build happiness on the impact that has around making you feel grateful and some of the key properties that go into the other side of the trauma of building up the happiness side for things that bring you joy. And one of the things that you mentioned to us before is that uh, you're supporting Operation Underground Railroad as part of one of your initiatives right now. I'd love for you to share that one first, and then we'll jump into a few of the other little things that you've got going on. But what started that? What made you want to donate to Operation Underground Railroad? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know it existed, but I was at uh, Funnel Hacking Live, uh, Russell Brunson's event, which I would argue is probably one of the coolest events you can go to. And he brought on Tim Ballard. And it was on, I think it was on video. Tim wasn't there. And, and Tim was like talking about this documentary, o- Operation Toussaint, and talking about just saving all these children from childhood sex trafficking. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm 100% on this. And, and eventually I interviewed the director of that documentary, Nick Nanton. He came on Think Unbroken podcast. And just dude, the, the education and lack thereof we have around what's really happening in, in just child abuse is unbelievable. It's so under the covers. You know, recently Sound of Freedom came out and and it's the most talked about movie that everyone's telling you in Hollywood not to go see. And there's something really weird about that. You know what I'm saying? And there there are secrets that are becoming uncovered. There are truths that we are finding. And I support Tim Ballard and his mission so much, man. Like part of me sometimes is like, I want to go there and help him arrest these sons of bitches. You know, it's really dark that people would take innocence from children. And as somebody that was molested myself, like I know how traumatic that is. That's probably the most work I ever had to do and to be able to build romantic and intimate connections with human beings because of something that was taken away from me. And so if we can stop assholes from doing this to other kids, bro, I'll donate as much as I can. That's amazing. And I know you said you do that monthly. Is there a motivation there? Again, we're going into the go big to get big movement here where we attach giving opponents to companies so that, hey, dude, the more money we can make, the more impact that we can have, the more businesses that we can get on board with this, Operation Underground Railroad can start getting more donations consistently from organizations. Do you think there's kind of a direct correlation here that's motivated you to continue to drive bigger, knowing that you can help more kids and do more on the back end with some of the work you're doing? And we'll even throw in the space of, you know, the bigger you go, the more books you can give away and the more coaching you can do for free because you don't need money anymore and things like that. Yeah, I think it's all about giving. I mean, you know, I always tell people who come to me and they're like, I'm depressed. I'm like, go to a soup kitchen. You know, people come to me and like, I don't feel good about my life. I'm like, yeah, of course you don't. Cause you're driving an $80,000 car. You're wearing all the suits and clothes and cars and girls, and you're not doing anything for anyone else. And you're selfish. 
And so I realized like a big part of the reason I had stuckness is I was selfish. And so being able to, to make money, to give money, to me, it's like the money's going to come back, dude. Every single time I've ever needed money, it's like magically there. You know, I, I've never been without as an adult. It wasn't that way as a kid, but as an adult. And so it's like I give when I can. I mean, I even carry cash in my car, give on the streets whenever I can. You know, we give out hundreds and thousands of copies of my book every single year. I pay for the book and the shipping for anybody who wants it. I pay for free coaching. Like it's you get in a program with me or you don't. I don't care. It's like, what is my mission? This is the thing, Randy. This is the question I always think that people need to ask themselves, like as entrepreneurs and business owners, like what's the actual mission? Not what you do, but what is the actual mission? And my mission with Think Unbroken is ultimately to make myself obsolete, to get to the point where people go, this is stupid. Why would I read a book called Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma? That's not even a thing. Who wrote this? That guy's dumb, right? That's what I'm moving towards. And so my hope is like on a long enough timeline, I can end generational trauma through education and information, giving people the tools and resources that I have at my disposal through my own investment in self and in turn, be able to impact the world in such a great way that energetically and genetically, I heal generations of trauma that ultimately make me obsolete. And because that's my mission, I go, well, I can't go rescue kids in Africa who are getting sex traffic, but I can educate everyone around the world in a platform that's been listened to in 130 countries and maybe give them something that inspires them to change the way they live. That's a mission I think we can all get on board. And thank you for that mission. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the progress of it, you know, for the next 37 years and beyond. My favorite question this whole podcast, what we do with every guest here, is just giving you a moment to sort of brag on yourself and share one of your own favorite moments of your own giving. It doesn't have to be like the biggest check you ever wrote, but one of the ones that really calls to your heart and still kind of gives you goosebumps when you think about it. You know, here's the thing too, man. I don't think you always have to give money. I think people get caught up in that and they forget time is just as valuable of a resource. And so I went to Northwest High School, Indianapolis. And Northwest High School, actually, it's now been closed down and defunded. It was one of the worst schools in the entire country. In fact, the year I graduated, Harris Polls did a study called the Dropout Factories. My school is one of the worst countries in America. Okay. Mm. I went back to that high school. This was, gosh, it's now closed. It's been closed for a long time. I went back when I was 27, maybe I was 28, 27 or 28. And I put together a group of something like 25 photographers. I got donations, I got prints, I got paper and printers and yearbook, like all the whole thing. And we went and did senior portraits for every kid in that school, every single one. I led the initiative, I led the charge because if I could do anything for that kid, for those kids, what I felt like is I wanna give them what I couldn't get. We couldn't afford senior portraits for me, right? We didn't have the money. And, and so to be able to go do that, and we took the school over for a whole day, man, wow. you're talking about 150, 200 kids, 25 photographers, groups on groups on groups all over the school, in the courtyard, in the basketball, in the gym, in the band room, in the auditorium, everything. We started at 630 in the morning and we were there printing till the last drop every single photo that night till 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And, and that to me was a moment I'll never forget because it had nothing to do with anything other than showing kids that they're worth something, even though they have nothing. Oh man. 
That is special. And I can only imagine those are memories of a lifetime for those kids. Some of those kids will remember that forever. And that's special, dude. Thank you for sharing that. We really appreciate yeah. it. And it's great question. Uh, is uh, just so special. And it's a good way for us to lead into our final section of the podcast here. It's what we call the giving round. Just some rapid fire questions around giving back. Ready for them? Let's do it. Cool. Brag on one charity that you like. I mean, I'll go to OUR again. I think they're absolutely amazing. Pencils of Promises is phenomenal too. I love those guys dearly. Nice. What would get you more excited? Donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? Why can't I do both? <laughs> you had to pick one? I don't like being put in situations of pressure, Steve. Um, <laughs> I, pro- helping people, man, because it's about human connection, dude. Right. I, like Honestly, but I'd rather do both. Amazing. It is a tough question. Uh, who inspires you with their giving? Man, dude, so many people. I mean, it's incredible to watch just the way people move in the world. I mean, one of the things, dude, you want to talk about get me choked up. I'll go down a deep dive these TikTok dudes. And I know people give them shit for recording it, but I think it's beautiful where they just go bless people with money or gas tanks or food or a toothbrush. I think it's funny because people will combat them and be like, oh, if you did it out of your heart, you wouldn't put it on the internet. And I'm like, you don't ever do it. So why are you talking shit about this guy? And I'll watch these dudes and I'll just be like happy crying for like an hour, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that entrepreneurs should include some sort of giving component in their business from day one or wait till they have a little success in the bank? And I think shoulds of weird word. I I think do whatever you want to do. I don't know, man. There are entrepreneurs who will never donate to anything. They're a fucking Scrooge McDuck. And then we have entrepreneurs that'll donate everything and be broke all the time. So, you know, you got to figure that out for yourself. I don't know, man. (laughs) Great answer. I love it. What's the first thing that you think of when you hear go big to give big? Yeah, go big or go bigger. You know, a few years ago, I got the amazing privilege to speak on one of Grant Cardone's stages in front of 10,000 people. And he ended up investing into Think Unbroken, like on the spot. It was this really cool Shark Tank-like experience. And and I really didn't even know Grant. I only had known his name for like maybe a month, deep dove into his work. And, you know, his concept, people always go, go big or go home. And his thing is go big or go bigger. And I, I think that's really what it's about, man, because the bigger you can go, the more you can give. There's also the conversation you have to have with yourself about like, what do you want to actually do? We get caught up in the pressure of the worlds and it's like, just do what you want, man. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Freedom. Mm, Great word. The final question we got for you today, Michael, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? No, but it can buy you cool shit that makes you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, man. That's amazing, dude. Uh, It's been such a pleasure having you come on the show, share your stories, share your gifts, and give our audience a different perspective of how they can start looking at their lives and their traumas and everything they're going through. So if they liked the content today that you delivered, which I know they will, uh, where can they go find out about you, learn more about you, get more involved in your circles? Yeah, I'm everywhere on social at Michael Unbroken. And you can just check out the Think Unbroken podcast at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com and all the places where people listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I'll give a plug. I've listened to quite a few episodes now. It's absolutely amazing. Great podcast and 100% go check it out. So thank you again, Matt, for coming on and uh, inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so that we can give bigger with our profits. And I look forward to uh, watching what you do in the future, my friend. 
Thanks, brother. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.